Echo's Box Podcast is not meant to be or claiming to be a good place for therapeutic advice. The host is not a licensed therapist and is not offering any services or advice related to mental health in a professional manner. The content discussed on Echo's Box is commonly highly explicit due to the real nature of expressing honest emotions. While we don't mean to offend anyone, the reality is these discussions might be triggering to many people. Out of respect for all, please do not listen if this content isn't right for you, and forgive us if you have a poor experience. Keep your brain healthy. Hey everyone, welcome back to Echo's Box. This is episode 5. The song you were just listening to is actually a remix of a track called Lit by Polyphia, and Polyphia freaking rocks. Uh, but that's actually one of my tracks. I just did a, a remix, added some vocals to it, and it's one of the very first things I ever put out. And I'm not, I don't, I don't find myself promoting it very often or doing anything just because one, it is a remix. It's not anything that I can really publish or or put on Spotify or anything like that. But it is out there. It's free if you want to go check out my Instagram music stuff at uh, Jones Music. But um, really, my point in pulling that up is one, I need a, uh, I need an intro track. Two, showing your work has been a big topic that uh one of my friends and i have been talking about like recently and it it there's a big philosophical arc that goes and i'll touch on a little bit it's not really relevant to today's episode but if you're creative like uh like i am then you sometimes experience these different ruts that you get into where it's really hard to write about things it's really hard to make progress and really hard to uh measure your success in a lot of ways and one of the number one things you can do is to start showing your work and that's something that uh, my buddy and I have been talking about just a lot lately, just what that thought process is like, because really it's it's a whole line of thinking. It's not just an application to music, but it's an application to anything creative. It's keep putting work out there, and if it's good, keep improving it and keep showing it and show your process. Because even if you start off with something, say like that track I just showed, it's not bad, but it could be so much better. I could write so much better. There are so many things that I could do better, but that was my starting point. So if I start there and can improve and I can show the process, not only is it cool because I'm putting out, you know, bigger and better stuff, but other people get to see how that worked and what that process was and kind of form a relationship to your creative process and share in that experience and even learn how you did your creative process. Now, granted, it's not going to apply to everybody, and there's a lot more to that, but it's just been a bit, big topic, and aside from needing an, an intro, I just figured it'd be cool to share since it's something I'm exploring right now. Um, but that is not the point of today's episode. So today's episode is actually called, well, depression, because that's what we're going to talk about. And honestly, I wasn't even going to record an episode today. I thought I was going to delay it probably till next week, but... I am in a lot of pain and there was something in my brain just saying, Hey, why don't you talk about it while you're experiencing it? I was like, Oh, that seems like it's really hard. And it's like, yeah, it is hard. Go do it. (laughs) And so, uh, that's kind of where we're at. So I'm actually kind of in a lot of pain. This is, it's not really a vulnerable moment for me, but it is fairly difficult energetically to sit here and do. Um, I'm also kind of sunburnt because I went and hung out with that same friend today and we talked for hours and let our dogs play out in the sun and it was a beautiful day. We had a great time, but now uh, I am toasty. So that's physically uncomfortable as well, but uh, that'll fade in a couple days. I'm not worried about it. Just little tidbits. 
But uh, what I really wanted to focus on today is depression. Originally, this episode was going to be about depression and anxiety because anxiety is kind of a symptom of my depression. And I am going to talk a little bit about anxiety as one of the uh, as a symptom, but I'm not going to dive into what anxiety is on its own because even for me as a symptom, I experience uh, a lot of the same impacts that people with general anxiety disorder and even more severe anxiety disorders experience i just don't have it all the time every day uh so i want to i want to really give that the attention it deserves at a later time so today is really just depression and and i want to start with uh depression just as a general term because depression doesn't necessarily mean a mental illness people do get depressed normally and it's actually just kind of a part of life there can be uh external circumstances that cause you to go into a deeper sadness than what you would normally experience from something just negative happening in your life and you'll get through it um and there's also depression that is just caused because maybe you're in a bad mood and you just keep spiraling down more and more you kind of put yourself in a place where you go from sadness to a depressed state so just as a general term depression is really about describing a an immense loneliness and sadness that you experience within yourself. And it can be caused by external factors, but it can also just be caused naturally by your own brain. And it's not necessarily indicative that you have uh, a mental illness per se. If you experience depression, I would actually say experiencing depression is a normal part of life. Maybe not everyone does, but it's not uncommon by any means. Many people will experience it when their first loved one dies or maybe a pet dies or their first relationship ends and stuff like that, that they will legitimately experience not just sadness, but legitimate depression. Not everybody, but that that can be a, a common thing that happens. Now, when it comes to actual mental illness types of depression that people suffer with, uh, regardless of external states and circumstances, there are a lot of different diagnoses, and I'm only going to touch on a couple, and I'm only really going to deep dive into the one I understand, which is my own diagnosis. But um, I have been around people with all of these types of disorders, been in relationships with people with these types of disorders, and uh, I feel like just bringing awareness to them is valuable because when we say depression, we don't often think of these. You'll more think along the lines of the diagnosis that I actually have uh, or at least assume that's what it is. But there's also a couple others that are, are fairly common and, and not recognized. And one is known as bipolar disorder. And this actually used to be called manic depression. And it's uh, it's more about the highs and lows that one goes through and experiences throughout their just day to day sometimes. And maybe it can translate week to week, uh, even moment to moment. It just really depends on the person and, and what their brain chemistry is. But the, the whole idea around bipolar disorder is that you have these highs or this mania or hypomania uh, that is kind of this state of upliftingness and it's not necessarily positive states of of mania can be uh very detrimental and negative too it can be impulsive uh you can make decisions that you're excited about but then maybe regret later um it's not it's not always positive but in general the idea is that you're not depressed you're in a you're in a better state of mood as far as sadness goes and like i said it doesn't necessarily correlate to positive or negative but it is not necessarily depression and then the other state you'll be in is depression. It's the same depression that I experience, or at least a similar kind. And you are 
basically swapping between these states all the time throughout your life and it can be very confusing because one moment you'll be riding this high and the the next moment you'll be like oh i'm really depressed and i don't understand why and if you are kind of experiencing that and you've never had that diagnosed then that may just look like oh well maybe i'm getting burnt out really fast and then getting really depressed and i'm like well that can be that's very normal and logical and and makes a lot of sense but if it's happening to you all the time throughout your life and you don't feel like you're getting a break from that there's never a moment of stability then you may want to consider thinking about how you actually feel and doing some introspective work and maybe even seeking some professional help on that um but that's the idea around bipolar disorders they get to experience the <laughs> get to like it's a reward uh they experience the uh, all the effects of depression and uh the effects of mania back to back to back all the time and it's very stressful and straining and it does take a lot of energy and there is still truth to the fact that uh if you're going and and going and going and riding this uh higher state of mood and you crash into depression you're still going to feel the physical effects of that uh even if it's not by choice even if it's not a natural occurrence of leading one to the other and it is just a switch uh you're still going to get all the the wonderful uh, side effects that come with with the actual natural stuff that goes on too outside of just what's bouncing around your brain so that's a little bit about bipolar disorder that's not my diagnosis um but it can be very important to be patient with people who have bipolar disorder because bipolar disorder doesn't look like what most people may think of it as is random mood swings and outlashes in in really severe cases it can be that but a lot of people just really uh ride highs for a couple weeks and maybe disappear into a deep state of depression for another week and you're like hey what happened they seemed happy last week what's going on now and that they could be dealing with their bipolar disorder and they need some patience they need some space and they need to to be able to grow and deal with their depression and 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 heal and it's not like it goes away (laughs) you know it's it's something they have to to work through and so being understanding of that and learning more about uh, the people that you're friends with or have relationships with that may be suffering with that is going to be invaluable because they will benefit so much from your patience and kindness and understanding about their mental health and on top of that in return will be able to grow and know be more self-aware of what's going on and take responsibility for their mental health and reciprocate that in the relationship and that's so important regardless of romantic relationships friendships uh, mother daughter father son whatever uh you know parental relationships all that it doesn't matter siblings in any case, that understanding goes a very long way. Another one that's actually more common among people, or at least it seems like it is, is seasonal depression. And seasonal depression actually has some like basic logic to it. Like it's when it gets dark and cold, you get sad. And when it gets warm and sunny, then you get happy. And that's the most of the time what people experience with seasonal depression. They'll get really sad when the winter months come around and then around the time spring and summer hit, they'll start to feel uplifted again and uh, be able to feel a normal state and not feel depressed. But uh, that's not all seasonal depression. Is. Seasonal depression can also be describing periods of time that were traumatic for you uh, that you are now depressed during because it means something to you when that time of year comes around. So like say... Uh, something terrible happened to you during the summertime well maybe you get depressed during the summer but you feel okay during the winter because you have more positive experiences during the winter 
you know, it's, it's not that you're out of season and don't have seasonal depression, you do, but it's trauma related rather than uh, reacting to the natural environment. So some people are really, really just uh, susceptible to the natural environment around them and they feel the natural change that comes with the changing of seasons and it impacts them heavier than others on an emotional level. But some people have legitimate trauma. I, I know that around the winter time, I, and the winter time and the springtime, I have plenty of traumatic events that make some of those months harder. But since I don't deal with seasonal depression, those just turn into traumatic like months or weeks that I get anxiety leading up to those dates or after. Uh, and otherwise it's the same level of depression for me year round. But uh, seasonal depression can also be very uh, hard to cope with because even though it will go away, while you're in the middle of being depressed, you're legitimately depressed and it sucks. And uh, some people do lose that fight and it's very sad and there's not really a good way to uh, cope with that outside of you know trying to go to therapy and do your medication because especially if you're not doing that i guess that's kind of my point here is that if you're not already taking care of yourself like that either professional help or having a support group then whenever you have that seasonal depression you're really taking a gamble because you'll be like oh well i know i'll get over it but if you're not thinking that you're going to get over it and you let yourself get more and more depressed and don't give yourself the chance to get over it that's bad. I mean, that can, a lot of bad things can happen with your own thought processes and your own psyche around how you think about yourself and plan. Cause you get out of this, you, you basically remove all the positivity. You remove every single ounce of positive emotion that you could have uh, leaned on to get you through to the next season and, you know, get out of it and get back to normal and, and repeat the cycle. And so it's very important that if you are struggling with that, to get some support and some help. So that way, even though you don't need it all the time, when you know you need it, you have it. And then you can, you know, you can thrive even. You can not just survive, but you can thrive. But yeah, so the those are the two more common types of depression diagnoses that you'll see, or at least they seem to me to be more common. I could be off base entirely. Like, like I said, I'm not a professional. Uh, but I do see those talked about a lot. And personally, I've experienced those a lot amongst others in my life and seeing how that plays out. And it, it's just important to have some awareness about those things. So if you're struggling with those or if you have a partner that is or, or someone you care about just in general that is, it's going to be very important to uh, really research that and, and try to get an understanding of, of what that is and how those things impact their day-to-day because it's different from everybody. All of these things are going to be a spectrum and it depends on how people's brains work and how they respond to things. And even like in my case where I'm extremely high functioning, I may seem positive. But on the inside, I'm depressed, right? And I'll talk about that a little bit more and what that's like. But uh, that that can be a real confusing thing from an external perspective for people who care for people dealing with these things because they'll they won't see it coming. It feels kind of blindsided. But uh, that's all I really want to do is raise awareness and touch on those because what we're actually going to talk about today is major depressive disorder, and this is my diagnosis. Um, so major depressive disorder does not involve any mood swings. For the most part, it doesn't involve any kind of highs and lows. It doesn't involve any kind of changing of states throughout time. It's literally you're depressed all the time, like severely depressed. (laughs) That's why it's major depressive disorder. And with that comes a lot of complex side effects, emotions, thought processes, 
and and just just a lot of pain if i'm honest i mean that like i said when i started this i am currently in immense pain and i'm hoping being in the thick of it while i'm talking is going to one maybe help me work through it but two really illustrate what it's like to be in pain and to kind of almost be masking kind of like i am now just being aware that i'm talking through these things in the context of basically a performance art with with podcasting like i'm i'm putting on a show for you everyone and talking about stuff but um i'm hoping it, it translates well because this is not necessarily easy to do um so one of the first things i want to talk about when it comes to depression is a uh, trauma response um and so for me i my typical trauma response has to deal with disassociation so i disassociate very often i know i've talked about this a little bit in other episodes but i disassociate very often and what that looks like for me is different than most people in fact every time i talk to somebody who disassociates whether they have bpd or did or or just general uh, some any other disorder that makes them just so even like anxiety can make you disassociate because it, it's like a coping mechanism so you don't feel the anxiety and you go through uh it doesn't i don't know how often that works but it, i know it doesn't work for me um, but in my case, disassociating looks like I am basically staring at myself almost out of body. It's not literally this, but this is how it feels. It feels like if I were out of body in the third person watching myself do stuff and not being present with it. For other people, it's kind of like you black out, you get through something, and then you come to and the thing's done. Uh, you know, you just cope through it and, and you're, you're, mental facilities help block out the emotion and that's what you dissociated from but then you kind of handled whatever you needed to handle that's what it looks like for some people and for others it can uh even form in the form of something like multiple personalities and and where they have uh it doesn't even have to be purely did it doesn't have to be an actual diagnosis it can be as something as simple as you turn off the excited part of your brain when you're dealing with a traumatic person and you only let certain emotions come forward. And that's, that's that can be a basic form of dissociation that has nothing to do with uh, like a true multi-personality disorder. That's just you disassociating from certain parts of your brain uh, for a trauma response. And ultimately, that's what a lot of those things are to begin with. They're just trauma responses. It's still you. You're still there physically, but emotionally, it feels very complicated. And for me, uh, when I dissociate, the thing that's the most frustrating like just beyond anything else is not being present. And as somebody who is very involved in a meditative practice and a spiritual practice, not being present is something that I am more and more aware of each and every day that I'm not. And it's very painful that my depression makes that even harder to be present when it's already hard to be present as it is. Um, so when it comes to my dissociation, a great example was the, of this was, uh, last Friday I was writing a report for work and it was going to be a big report. It wasn't anything complicated. It's something I do all the time. I wasn't worried about it and I knocked it out. But what I didn't realize is that I disassociated through the entire thing. So it was like I started the report and then an hour or two later it was done. And I don't remember really doing the report at all. And I would try to recall doing the report. My memory kind of looks like this uh, recap of me watching myself do the report. So I know I did it. I know what I did. I know what's going on. I can remember everything. I just don't, I, I didn't experience doing it. Like I can recall it, but I can't, I didn't get the experience. I wasn't there. I can only remember it. So that's how mine goes. And it's very consistent. That's pretty much how it is all the time. 
and I dissociate a lot. Like I just going through the day, whether I'm driving in my car, talking to friends, uh, doing work, uh, anything that involves some kind of mental capacity where I uh, have the chance to let go of reality for a minute, my brain will do it. And uh, especially in response to trauma. So if there's a lot of people in a, in a big room that I'm uncomfortable with, I seem like the most comfortable and confident person in the room because my brain goes on autopilot and does exactly that kind of stuff, which is, sounds like a freaking superpower. And in some ways it is, but it's also very frustrating because I'm not dealing with it on my own, or at least that's not how it feels. In physicality, yes, I am, but on an emotional presence level, I'm remembering what I did and can even understand what I did and know that I knew how to do those things, but I don't experience, I don't remember actually doing it. I just know that I did and I can recall it, but I wasn't there. And see, that's very confusing. It's very hard to wrap your mind around, even for me as I'm verbalizing it, because it's like, but you were there and you remembered it. So how did you not know you did it? What, what do you mean? It's like, I, I can remember it kind of like you remember scenes from a movie. You weren't in the movie. You didn't do the things, but you remember what the movie was about and what happened and all the details. That's what it's like for me. Uh, and it's, it's very frustrating because sometimes I do want to be in the movie because the movie is my life. You know, I kind of want to be present for the things in my life. And it really sucks that that happens to me all the time. Uh, especially as a trauma response. And it's it's honestly a tool. For, for a lot of people, disassociating uh, as a trauma response is a good and beneficial tool. What's not so good and beneficial, like in my case, is when it happens all the time and it's not under my control and I don't get to just block things out and shut down and move along as a coping mechanism, but uh, it just kind of happens. I can be in a completely positive experience or a really negative experience and my brain will just be like, eh, uh, you're, you're not here. Uh, you're just going to dissociate for a bit and get through it. And I hate that. It makes me more sad because of all the things and happy times that I could have had that I missed out on. And it just, well, makes me more depressed. Um, so what does it mean that when I, when I say I feel depressed, uh, I, in my case, and again, all of these things are a spectrum. So I'm just speaking to what I experience. And if you relate to this, then uh, I'm sorry, and you should probably seek similar help to, to what I have, uh, but it, it's not everybody. Like, my major depressive disorder is not going to be one-to-one with somebody else's, but you should still be able to relate to some degree. They are There's a reason why we are able to categorize these things, as they're relatable to at least a degree. Um, but I, my, one of my things is I can't feel positive emotions, but I still somehow get to experience them, and this is another complex thing that was hard to wrap my mind around as well. And, um, basically ask yourself, how does happiness feel? How does excitement feel? How does love feel? I know how all of those things feel and I can experience those things in tiny moments and even give those things to others. I know what those are. And I think the only reason I do is because at one point in my life, I wasn't struggling with depression actively. And either whether I was distracted or was just a kid and who hadn't been traumatized yet or whatever it is, you know, it's hard to put the nail in the coffin on that one. But uh, I do know what those emotions are and what they feel like. I just can't internalize them. So I can experience them in small blips and even give them to everybody in the world around me. But I can't feel them for myself. I can't internalize them and hold on to them. If somebody loves me, I can experience that love for a brief moment. 
And then once they stop being affirming in that or stop showing love and care, I don't feel it anymore. I feel like empty. Uh, same thing with happiness and excitement. I can I can be excited about something in the moment, and then as soon as that moment's gone, it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm still depressed. And it, that that's kind of how that that works for me in terms of positive emotions. Uh, and the the common theme that all that comes back to is like, okay, you can ask yourself, how does happiness feel? How does excitement feel? How does love feel? Uh, or, or any other positive emotion that you can possibly think of. Imagine experiencing that for a blip. And then immediately feeling empty. That is my constant. I always feel empty. And that is a confusing word because it means so many things in the context of depression. And in my case, what that means is I feel lonely a lot of the times, like just alone. Uh, And for me, loneliness isn't like physically being alone. It's like I feel like I'm alone in my head. I don't feel understood. I don't feel accepted. I don't feel loved or cared for it doesn't matter if i am or i'm not this is just how i feel and experience life and like i said i could have my house full of people i could have full of loved ones i could have uh the most loving kind person in the world as a partner or anything like that and i would still feel lonely because as soon as that experience fades i go back to feeling empty And I go back to feeling lonely because I don't understand why I feel empty. I have a hard time understanding myself. So how can anybody else actually understand me? So that's what loneliness is to me. It's not just, you know, being alone. Uh, Although I will say being physically alone does make it worse a lot of the time. So that's why I try to get out and be social as much as I can, uh, because that'll help kind of combat that. And I'll talk about that a little bit later when uh, I talk about surviving through this. Um, Another symptom of the emptiness is I kind of... get a lack of interest and this is a common depression symptom just in general um but for me when i feel empty i feel demotivated and i feel sad and i don't really want to do things and that is very frustrating because i very much know adamantly many many things i want to do and get done and so when my brain is feeling empty and is like huh Uh, you you don't want to do that thing right now i get so upset at myself even more because it's like oh uh, well, how about we do do that thing that I wanted to go do and uh, you shut up <laughs> and my brain's just like, nah, sit down. You're, you're a loser. You're not going to go do the thing. So it's a constant battle of making progress. And uh, I'm happy to say that I, I do tend to win those fights often because uh, it's very helpful to actively engage in something to get your brain off of the depression, the kind of the depression loop. Um, another thing is kind of feeling stuck. And so one of the ways I lose that lack of interest battle is I will get stuck. So say I've got, I want to go work on a song and my state is feeling empty and I don't want to do anything. I'm not interested in working on that right now. And, but maybe I find myself, oh, what if you recorded something really good or came up with something really good today? And I try to positively talk myself into whatever that is. And then my brain bites back and it's like, yeah, but what if you don't and you get stuck, then you're going to be more depressed. And sometimes I can get up and I'll go do it. Like maybe I'll start working on a song and then I do get stuck. And then when I see myself get stuck, that depression just reinforces it. Huh? told you you were going to get stuck. Now go sit back down on the couch and think about what you did. <laughs> and it's, it sucks. I'm, I'm my own biggest bully. Um, and another thing that comes with the emptiness, and this is the, the last one of it is, uh, losing sleep. I don't sleep very much. Um, it's probably been about 
five days now since I've had a full night's worth of sleep. I've slept maybe six, uh, maybe nine hours if I'm being generous in total over these nine days. Uh, but some of the nights I'm just up all, all day and all through and it sucks. And I don't sleep because I feel empty and my brain isn't tired. It's empty. It's not wearing itself out or it's running too fast thinking about all the emptiness and it's just jarring and traumatizing and I don't want to sleep because I'm uncomfortable. I'm just uncomfortable existing. Um, so that that is what emptiness is to me. It's a combination of being lonely, lack of interest, feeling stuck and losing sleep and all of that compounds into what is ultimately me feeling like a loser. It is like I feel absolutely empty. I feel numb. I feel nothing but negative emotions. And so I'm actually lucky because if I'm not feeling negative emotions on a given day, the only thing I feel is emptiness. But otherwise, I feel empty, and then it compounds to negative emotions, which is what we'll get into next. So uh, I am always in immense pain. Um, I've been alluding to that this whole time, and this is kind of the more difficult thing to talk about and I feel like I've almost been distracting myself to some degree in in getting to this point but uh, right now everything I'm about to describe to you is actively what I'm experiencing as I'm speaking and I apologize if I if I stutter or try to um over explain something or I feel weird and uncertain this is just I'm in, I'm in the thick of it this is it so hopefully I do a good job um but yeah, uh, immense pain, and this comes in emotional and physical forms. So on the emotional side of things, I feel sadness, uncertainty, and anxiety. So when I'm not just feeling empty, I'm sad. And why I'm sad can be arbitrary. I can just be in a sad state of mind. I can be recalling something in my life, like trauma that was sad. Uh, or I could have experienced something and found myself, uh, a reason for myself to be sad. And my brain will actively seek out those negative things over positive things. Um, and it compounds onto that. I, it's hard to get rid of the sadness because often I'm uncertain. So it'll be like, oh, well, maybe I met someone new and I thought they were really fun and cool. And we got off to a great start. We were being great friends, like the same music or whatever. And then I feel like maybe I uh, said something that was not something they related to. So now I'm not cool anymore, which is far from the truth almost every single time. It's okay to have differences in people. People don't just hate you. Um, but I'm trying to give this as an external example to, to make it a little bit easier to understand. So hopefully it works, but I'll give an internal example as well. Um, but basically uh, that uncertainty about that potentially negative experience then makes me sad so it kind of feeds the sadness and you notice you'll notice the pattern of all these things kind of feed each other uh an internal example that's a little bit more common of what i experience because really is, a, is an external thing it's almost always me fighting myself is uh i'll be sad about something and then i'll try to talk myself out of that sadness but i won't be certain whether the answer is right or wrong like one one good example is a trauma with uh, like past relationships, like I'll think about an event or words that were said and it'll make me sad. And I'll be like, yeah, but that's over now. And you can kind of keep moving forward. And that uncertainty will kick in and be like, yeah, but did they ever really mean those things? How do you, uh, you know, relate this? How do you, um, justify all this? And it'll kind of spiral me back into sadness. And that's not 
that's not okay. I'm just doing it to myself. I'm overthinking essentially into sadness between uncertainty and already feeling sad. And then there's anxiety. And like I said, I'm going to have a whole episode dedicated to anxiety. So I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot here, but, uh, basically for me, anxiety comes in the form of raw, uh, unadulterated panic attacks and more overthinking. So basically I can go from sadness to being uncertain Uncertain will feed the sadness or uncertainty can then spiral into anxiety where I'll get caught in thought loops of things that are making me anxious and it's extremely uncomfortable and oftentimes physically painful. And that's kind of where I'll get to next. So we're going to cut off anxiety for now and talk about that on another episode. Uh, but anxiety has a big contribution to the physical side of my pain. So every single day, physically so you've heard what emotionally all those things i talk about every single day and right now as i'm speaking that's what i feel all of those things the reason i'm not super anxious right now is because i took my medicine <laughs> and and calmed down a little bit first but uh the other side of that is the physical it's sleep headaches and just general exhaustion and you'll see very easily how those feed into each other as well so i already talked about how i lose sleep because of feeling empty but also physically i feel pain from a lack of sleep it's very very difficult for me to get any sleep and even when i do get sleep i have incredible nightmares it's been so consistent that it's kind of scary to go to sleep sometimes and i try i'll take my medicine i'll sip a glass of bourbon i'll i'll try taking some sleeping medication or uh taking my anti-anxiety medication. i've tried everything and sometimes i still stay awake and it's very 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 painful um and so that's that's kind of what I'm dealing with. Like I said, I'm running off of not very much sleep over a long period of time. Uh, and that's just this recent weekend. Rarely do I ever pass out and get a full night's sleep. And when I do, my body likes to wake up early. I find this so, so stupid that for some reason, when I fall asleep, say I fall asleep at 3 a.m. And I don't have to get up till maybe 10 a.m. My brain will wake me up at 7 anyway. Because it's saying, ah, no, you only got four hours of sleep. Screw you. I'm like, why? My, my alarm's giving me like three more hours, dude. Like what? <laughs> I, I don't get it. Like I'll, I'll just naturally wake up then. And, and it's like my body's almost conditioning itself to lose sleep. And it's very frustrating and I don't like it. Um, and then of course I get headaches and that's caused by both the lack of sleep and the physicality of overthinking. So like my brain is almost always pounding. It feels not like a headache, not like a migraine. And it doesn't feel like sinus congestion either. It feels like somebody is just light that it's like on the inside of your head around your temple and they're just kind of like lightly tapping a pin against your temple all day from the inside uh that's the best way i can describe it it's a very weird sensation i don't like it um it's tolerable it's not so painful that I, it's unbearable but it can it can escalate especially in, in conditions of panic attacks it can get so bad that my brain gets worked up and i physically feel like the thoughts that are spinning through my brain are spinning against the side of my head. That's it's, it's kind of like a its own uh, correlation for the emotional to the the physical in some ways, even though you know, it's just perceived. But it still feels that bad. It really hurts. And the the logical thing with that is that oh well, your your blood flow or your stress and your already pounding brain was already shitty. And then when you got more anxious, all that began to race. And it's it is a direct correlation between the emotion and your physical state uh, in that sense. Um, so yeah, I, I deal with chronic headaches all the time that feel like that and I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted all the time. 
I'm exhausted now. And all I've done today is relax, honestly. I had a great time today at the park. I had some great food. I spent time with my dogs. I sat. I drank some delicious drinks. And then I came home and sat down and tried to relax and then just couldn't. I couldn't relax. Even though I'm so exhausted and all I want to do is relax and sleep, I can't. So all of these things culminate in, ultimately in a loop. And I kind of mentioned the loop before, but the loop is I disassociate, get frustrated by not being present, get frustrated by not being able to feel the emotions and, and positive experiences when I am present anyway, go to feeling empty, experience all the symptoms of the emptiness and that translates into pain and it's an endless cycle and it doesn't always necessarily start with the disassociation but that is just a common thing like when I start my day and I have to get up and do my routine sometimes I have to be like all right let's let's get up and work out you didn't sleep but go get up work out shower get dressed go to work and my brain just kind of pushes me through it so that's a common starting point but it's not always that most of the time I, I do like if I don't have uh something to do that day or whatever I'm still just depressed like I just exist Sometimes the loop is you started at the empty state and you loop through emptiness, pain, emptiness, pain, emptiness, pain. And that's usually what it is. And a lot of this past week has been just that. It got to the point where in therapy, I, I went to my therapist and I'm like, yeah, things are objectively going pretty great, but I am in so much pain. Like, I got to be honest, I hurt a lot all the time and it's getting frustrating and I don't know what to do. And it's it's not new. Like we know about this. We've talked about this before, but I'm very confused why when I have positive things going on, I still feel the pain. And it's like, I say that, but I'm not really confused. I know that's my depression, but I don't like it. I don't like, it cause it doesn't make logical sense. And it's not going to, because it's the chemical imbalance. It's not logical. Um, and my logic thinking brain doesn't like that. <laughs> and, uh, so just it just gets very frustrating. So I'm I'm in constant pain. That is honestly exactly how I feel right now. I feel very empty. I feel very alone. I feel very pained. Uh, my head really hurts. I'm so fucking tired. Um, but it's not gonna stop. It's gonna keep going. Uh, like I said, I took my medicine, so I'm calm, and I'm gonna drink water and relax and hang out with my dogs and try to watch TV, maybe play some Elden Ring or something. Um, talk to my friends, talk to the the cute new girl I'm talking to, you know, all those positive things. That's what I'm going to do next. Um, but it's not going to change my state. I'm just pressing forward. I'm still in pain. And it's like this all the time. It doesn't matter if I'm at a party surrounded by everybody. It doesn't matter if I'm out with my favorite people. It doesn't matter if I'm surrounded by loved ones. I feel empty and in pain all the time every day and the only time I get a break for a moment is whenever I practice ceremonial magic or get a moment to experience those things in those brief moments where somebody is happy with me or excited or loving or when I get to care for others I get those brief brief moments but they always kind of almost do more harm than good because I want them to stay and they don't um so how do I survive with this, right? <laughs> you just heard me describe all this this pain, and uh, it sounds like you'd probably want to, you know, drive a wooden stake through your skull. 
and that's exactly how it feels. Uh, but I don't want to do that. I want to keep living. So how do, how do I do that? Um, well, I cope. Um, coping looks like a lot of things for me. Sometimes it looks like helping others, which I'll, I'll talk about a little bit later. That's been a big thing. Uh, but uh, sometimes it looks like just sitting down and letting your thoughts loop and getting through it. Sometimes it looks like grabbing a drink. Sometimes it looks like taking your medicine. Sometimes it looks like smoking a blunt. Sometimes it looks like uh, drinking some water or having a meal or writing in my journal or going and doing my meditative practice. Um, and it's, it's very tough because I have to come up with new and creative ways to cope every single day because things that I did yesterday may not work today for whatever reason. Another thing I do is socialize. And this has been something that is being pressed into me more and more recently um, with the loneliness side of emptiness is that it can be helpful to actually physically go and not be lonely and try to make connections, even if you're disassociating and even if you're not feeling happy, just go out and try to talk to people. It can be people you know. It can be new people that you met at a bar or a restaurant or whatever. But just go out there and be social because when you're doing that, you're forcing your brain to focus on something else and focus on another set of relationships and another set of topics that isn't you beating yourself up. So I'm trying that more and more lately. I've been, I've always been a social person, but now whenever I feel empty, I try to make it a point to go out and do something or, or at least text somebody and say something to see if that's going to help. And I don't know yet. Uh, that was my therapist's recommendation. And I'm trying it. And I, I do find that it passes time a little bit easier at least, uh, but I still need to keep trying that. That is, that is a new tool in my tool belt. I'm keep trying and I'll be more than happy to report back on how well it works. But so far it seems like a really good idea. And logically it does make sense because if, you, if you're not physically alone you have a tool to use to fight feeling lonely <laughs> with so it makes sense to me and I, I, i'm hoping i'm hoping it's going to provide some relief um another thing is i talked a little bit about showing my work before uh the podcast and in, in, in context of uh you know creative aspects but also it helps to show my work in the maintenance of my mental health and this doesn't often look like uh what you think it would like the podcast is kind of part of it in a way that happened on its own but for me that looks like writing down what i've done it uh it looks like self-reflecting and keeping those things in memory and being able to basically look back through whether it's notes therapy sessions uh self-actualization exercises whatever it is and being able to say oh Remember when you were dealing with that problem, but you made progress over here and you had growth and now you don't deal with that problem anymore. That is me showing myself my work to prove to myself that I am getting better at these different things. Even if I never get perfectly better, I have at least conquered some things that I didn't otherwise have conquered before. And that's very, very helpful in, in the survival. Um, also, uh, just general self-awareness and analysis. Um, it is important to be self-aware, but not too self-aware, right? Like if you're too self-aware, you worry about every single thing you're going to do all the time. You worry about maybe being cringe. You worry about what other people are going to think. You worry about, um, you know, all, all those opinions and maybe even become, uh, you can either become self-centered or scared. It can go either way. Um, but having some level of basic self-awareness is extremely important when dealing with your mental health, because if you're not aware of yourself, how are you supposed to know what's going on with yourself? Uh, so 
just being more self-aware and actually asking myself questions. Like when I ask the audience out here a question of how does happiness feel? Those are the kinds of questions I ask myself. It's like, oh, okay, well, you're sad and upset today. Why? Explain to me why. And it's me explaining to myself. I'm basically challenging myself, you know, step up. Tell me, tell me what's going on. I'm be aware of this. And we're going to analyze it and we're going to try to make sense of it and see if there's anything we can do. And if we can't, we can't. But otherwise, we're going to try. Um, and then that's where self-care comes in. So I've talked about deserving support. I've talked about loving myself. Uh, I don't, I still don't love myself, but I do care for myself actively, physically, and emotionally. I think that's extremely important. And the tool that helps me care for myself the best is that self-awareness and analysis. So I'm able to develop self-care based on how aware I am of my states and keep myself moving forward. You know, that's, that's, it's a critical survival skill because if I know, Hey, I'm getting sad, uh, maybe I need to clean the house or maybe I need to go meditate or maybe I need to play this game or maybe I need to work. Like I can identify a solution to the thing that is ailing me the most and maybe putting me in the thought loop and try to get out of it. And that's been one of the most key tools that I have, I have in my tool belt is making use of the self-awareness. It's not just asking the questions, but doing something about it. Cause you, you're not talking to another person with mental illness who may not want your help. You're talking to yourself and you need to care about yourself. So do the thing that your body doesn't want you to do. That's good for you because it's yours. It's your body and you're supposed to go do it. You're allowed to do it. You don't have to worry about whether it's said yes or no. It's, oh crap, I feel empty and sad. Uh, and it'd make me feel better if I had a smoothie. You know, this is a very, really simple, dumb example. It made me feel better if I had a smoothie. So that's the case. Uh, and your brain's like, nah, you can't have a smoothie. You suck. If you just let it do that, then you lose every time. But if you're like, I am aware that having a smoothie would make me feel immensely better. I'm going to go get the smoothie and you just do it anyway. Well, there you go. You solved your problem and you have the authority to do that. This is your mind and your body. And even though it's your depression, it, it can still be under your control in some states. And that's how you survive it. And again, these things don't work every time. That's why I call it surviving this. I'm not thriving through this. I have to switch up all these things all the time. There's different coping mechanisms every day, different types of socialization, different types of self-awareness and analysis, and different types of self-care. It's not a silver bullet, and it sucks, and that's why it's survival. Um, and then, of course, therapy and medication till something sticks. Therapy's been probably the best tool because I can have a third party validate what I'm saying and, and make a more educated and understanding calls of whatever it is I'm talking about. And of course, direct me to proper medications and stuff like that. So I do that as probably the most important tool for general overall progress. Uh, so that way I can keep trying till something sticks. Cause a lot of these skills for survival, I get from therapy. Like I've developed some of these things on my own naturally, but, uh, even in therapy, we can refine them. I can speak to like, Oh, well doing this thing has helped me in the past. And my therapist would be like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense. It's a good tool. And let's vamp it up. Let's make it do this instead. Um, and lastly, the thing that helps me survive probably the most is caring about others. Because even though I don't care very much about myself, I care immensely for other people. Um, it's to a degree of self-sacrifice that is unhealthy sometimes. And that is something that I'm self-aware of. And I put boundaries in place to protect myself. Um but I really do care about other people and I survive for the sake of being able to provide for those people. Um, and I don't mean so in like a life or death way. I mean, I would, that's how, how deeply it can go. But I just mean like if 
somebody needs something or somebody just wants to hang out. Somebody needs to vent. Somebody needs uh, a friend. It doesn't have to be a negative thing. It doesn't have to be something negative at all. It can be a totally positive thing. I'm getting invited to a party or I'm getting uh, invited to go have drinks or play a show or do an activity. Like it can be positive things too. And I just care about the other people. So I want to go do them even if I don't care about myself enjoying it and going to do it but that helps me survive um it's not it's not the state i want to exist in permanently i want to go do things and enjoy things and experience things for myself that's the whole point but depression kind of keeps me from doing that uh consistently in a healthy way so caring for others is a way for me to force myself into those situations even though i probably wouldn't create them for myself normally because i care about other people i am forced into seeing what it's like when other people are cared for because I'm doing it. And if they reciprocate that, then I can see other people, examples of other people caring for me and kind of show my brain, hey, hey, quit being an asshole and care about yourself like these people do. And obviously much easier said than done. I'm not winning yet. <laughs> but that is a that is probably my favorite survival tip because even though I need strong boundaries in place to keep it healthy, it when it's healthy, it, it is so wonderful to see other people blossom and prosper and hopefully have that reciprocated um and then of course personally i have my meditative and spiritual practice that is a time and space and tools where i can force myself to be present it is temporary um and sometimes it's hard to get up and go do those things but i i keep it as consistent as, as i can i've been going for honestly weeks on end now uh make sure i do something every day all all the time related to the those practices and and just to ensure that I'm present. Even if I just do a quick uh, meditative practice in between like a work break or something, uh, and it's for like 10 minutes, well, at least for 10 minutes that day I was present. If I didn't do that, I might not have been present at all, right? And not gotten to experience anything, even if it was negative. Like, um, well, not even if it was negative. <laughs> Basically, I only experienced the negative. It's, it's I, if even if it was nothing, like, even if it wasn't not negative, I guess is what I mean. It's like, even if it was just a complacent, like, okay, you exist, you're here now, you're doing the things, this is the world around you, just it is what it is, cool. Uh, I can't even be aware of those things sometimes. So getting 10 minutes where I'm at least aware of the bare minimum is better than nothing at all. Um, so hopefully that helps everyone understand what it's like to kind of experience major depressive disorder, and if you have it, hopefully that helps you relate and gives you some good tools to survive too, because you deserve to survive. I think I deserve to survive too. Uh, I wouldn't have tools and tips for how I survive and, and share that process. If I didn't want to, I would just not survive. It's very black and white to me. Um, but yeah, I just, I really hope that helps provide some understanding and some insight. And I, I just want to harp on how important it is to, uh, if you have any loved ones in your life that are struggling with any forms of depression or honestly, any mental illness to take the time to understand it, because in the past I failed to do that and I've lost relationships because of that. And it's not okay. And I refuse to do that ever again. Uh, listen to your, your partner, listen to your friends, listen to your family and hear them out what they're experiencing and try to research it or even ask them to say, Hey, uh, you tell me about this and I don't know anything about this. Can you give me the resources that you got uh, that you're using to learn about yourself so I can kind of try to keep up and maybe 
if they're comfortable, it depends on your relationship. You know, of course, if this isn't appropriate. Don't do it. But maybe if it's your partner, you say, oh, maybe I need to come to therapy with you so that way I can understand better and, and work through these things. But uh, you'll you'll benefit on both sides as somebody who struggles with mental illness, being open and sharing that information, being willing to give them the resources. That's on you, too. It's important. You can't just blame your mental illness for everything. Like, I'm not going around being like, oh, well, I'm depressed all the time and sad. So that's why I failed to do my work today. You know, you know what happens if I do, don't do my work? I lose my paycheck. But if I can demonstrate, it's like, hey, I'm having a bad week and inform my boss, like, hey, I deal with this mental illness or whatever, or whoever your HR appropriate person is. And I know it's weird and different at all kinds of companies, but I can just be, hey, I'm not doing all right here's what's going on. This is normal for me. Here's what you need to understand about this. Then you can work through those problems. Like, and that's a good example because that's in the professional setting. And that's where a lot of people, when they get crippled, crippled by their mental illness, they, uh, they'll fall through the cracks just on basic, uh, work and, and ethics and relationships, uh, in their professional life and not be able to sustain on their own. So that's something where I am very high functioning. So I'm able to articulate those things and handle a lot of things on my own because it's my depression and I don't want to put it on anyone else. It sucks to suffer in silence sometimes. I mean, it sucks all the time, but it's better than projecting that onto everybody else. Because when I need the help, it's a lot easier for me to just articulate it uh, than it is to be like, Oh, I'm so sad feel my sad. I don't want you to feel my sad. I want help <laughs> with the sad. Um, so yeah, I, I hope this has been beneficial for a lot of people. I am really glad I sat down to do the episode, even though uh, I'm not feeling super great. Uh, this feels uh, like it's been just a lot of good information straight out of my head as I experience it, or at least I hope it is. So yeah, Hopefully you all enjoyed this, got something out of it. I'm sorry if it was a little sad. I should probably stop apologizing for that. You're listening to a, a podcast about mental health things. It's going to get sad sometimes, probably most of the time. Uh, but at least we're being real here and talking about talking about all the cool, not cool shit. So yeah, I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Uh, if you have any requests or ideas or you know speaker things, you can... Uh, find my email and my Instagram or on my TikTok. It should be echoboxpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to send any inquiries there. I don't know how often I'll check it, but I'm open to anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, so take care, everyone.